quit being the world's best kept secret. Your time is now. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Millionaire Woman Show podcast, where we bring you guests from around the world to motivate, inspire you, and educate you to live life rich from the inside out using principles of life, leadership, and business. And today, we're heading to Brisbane. Catherine Mora is a book coach and publisher based in Brisbane. She helps coaches, speakers, and aspiring thought leaders write and publish beautiful self-help books, business books, and memoirs. A quality book can raise your profile, attract new opportunities, such as speaking, media, podcasts, new clients. And because it ultimately positions you as a thought leader, it adds credibility and income to your business. Using her no BS, genuine, practical approach to book writing, Catherine empowers you to tell your truth, grow your business, and make a greater impact in your industry and the world. Please welcome Catherine Mora to the show. Thanks, Deb. I'm really excited to speak to your gorgeous millionaire women. Well, I'm so excited that you're able to join us. I know you were busy in a class. And one of the things I love about that is you're committed to continuous learning yourself as you grow your business and serve your clients. And I think that's so valuable. So thank Absolutely. you for you know fitting us in today. It's a wonderful to have you. Thanks. So one of the things I would love, just give us a little bit of background of what got you into becoming a book coach. Yeah, well, I was always an avid reader and that and that's something that I might have in common with some of your uh, audience as well. I, I used to read from five in the morning and uh, until I got ready for school and that kind of thing. And I loved writing when I was in high school. Creative writing was definitely a strength. And uh and then I suppose over the years, I worked in marketing and media for 15 years. So I did a lot of writing, you know, pitching media and lots of copy and things like that. But I wasn't really loving the career that I was in. I had loved aspects of it, but I didn't really love working for other people and, and that kind of thing. So I decided to write a book. And I, I, I started that when my firstborn was uh, six weeks old because I thought, well, I'm basically got all this time off. I should just write a book now. I'm going to be so bored. Um, so there's your first clue that I have no idea about anything. <laughs> and, uh, and it really took me about two, 20 months it was to realize that my book was not going anywhere. I finally you know, worked out the formula to getting a book written. I smashed out that last 13 chapters in 10 weeks. And I had a very long journey to publishing, which I won't go into, but I learned a lot. And ultimately the book didn't create enough money for me to leave my job, which had been the plan. So a little while later, you know, a couple of years later, I actually went and studied coaching. I spent a year trying to get that business off the ground. And when that wasn't working, I started working with a business coach and said, you know, I can't get this working. And she said, well, let's have a look at what you can niche down to. And when she asked me all these questions about what I like doing, what my biggest wins were, what I was most proud of, and, and all of these questions, she said to me, 
why don't you help people promote their books? And I said, well, I'm kind of sick of doing marketing, so I don't really want to do that, even though I love aspects of it. But I actually think you're onto something because I'd love to help people write their books. And she said, but you'll get stuck in the quagmire of people's minds when they're you know, unable to finish. And I said, yes, but I'm a trained coach. So that's where that comes in. I get to do that as well. So that's actually the greatest honor is helping people get their first draft done, which is how my business started was only as a small sort of one person, get you to first draft coaching because writing, finishing the first draft of my first book is honestly to date still the greatest achievement of my life. Because as a woman, as a mom working, finding time to write a book is really hard. And when I, I now feel like I'm, you know, you can feel sometimes the tears. I think like I'm so proud of myself and I want to help other people feel that pride because they actually went and did it. That's powerful because I know myself, I've written three and uh, each one is a significant journey. It's kind of like the kid's scrapbook. Um, my third book I am most proud of because each time my writing style has improved significantly and you yep. want to go back to the beginning books and start all over again. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, and learning the different techniques and strategies to get that book out of you. So tell me, you know, you hear people say everyone has a story, which is true, but is everyone meant to write a book? That's a really excellent question because I also agree everyone has a story, uh, but I also think it doesn't mean that everyone should write a book. And the reason being is that, look, a book is a very specific project. And I do kind of put it into two categories or two more objectives. One would be a personal objective. You want to write something to leave a legacy, to tell your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is about your life. And, you know, I wish my late father had written a book about his life because even though I felt like, you know, I knew a lot about him, when you really think about it, I don't know how often our parents sit down and tell us really detailed stories over a long period. You know, we hear the same story 84 times, but, you know, I would love to to hear that and I would love to do that for my own child because you want them to know you as a person. So I think there's this kind of personal journey aspect of it where it's a bucket list item. It's something you kind of want to do for a personal achievement. Then I look at the business side that a book could be such a brilliant tool for business, raising your profile and all those things you mentioned in the beginning. However, when you create a book in that way, it is something that's an investment of time and energy and money. And the reason being is that you don't want to put out something that's rubbish quality because the world has enough crap quality books, right? So I believe the world needs more beautiful books and that your message deserves to be the best it can be. And the difference between those is that time, energy and money that for a personal project, it probably doesn't make sense to spend all of that, you just want to write it and give it to the family. You're not going to spend thousands on editing it. But if it's a commercial project, you really need to if you want to raise your profile and be taken seriously because a rubbish quality book is not going to do you any favors. Because yeah. a book is really a glorified business card, a way that people can hear your voice through the pages, especially when I think of nonfiction, right? They're, they're hearing your voice, instructing them, teaching them. Whereas fiction yeah. completely lost in it all, right? 
Yeah, and it's certainly it's very different. And I love fiction, but I don't really work in it in the business anymore because it's not it's not the same in terms of objective. And I do hear that phrase about you know a business card on steroids and all of that. And it is definitely uh, something to promote yourself. But I the the line I walk with that is that I feel like your book deserves so much more than just this sort of the just existing uh, because I've certainly seen a number of books that people have pumped out to give to someone for free, but no one reads past the first three pages. So I love a book that people can't stop reading. And lots of my clients get letters from people saying, Oh my gosh, literally changed my life. Couldn't stop reading. Couldn't put it down. Stayed up till four in the morning. You know, that kind of thing. I love that. That's like the greatest stories to hear from someone to, to hear how your book has impacted them in some way and that they wanted to keep reading. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think people get that if they sort of smash it out and don't put in that effort. Yeah. What, what is the average timeline for someone to write a book in general? It's a little bit piece of stringish, uh, but the, we work towards 12 weeks for your first draft in our programs. Um, and that's for, you know, our one-on-one and our small groups where you're getting feedback every week and we're sort of really pumping you along. When people work on something on their own, uh, obviously it's very different. I've had people come to me who have worked on their book for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Wow. And <laughs> People get very stuck when they do it on their own and they've come to me and said, oh, I just can't get it done. So yeah, we work towards 12 weeks though. So what what do you do when someone comes to you and says, you know what, I'd like to write a book, but I have nowhere to start. I don't know where I'm supposed to go with this. All I know is I have this burning desire to write one. Firstly, I establish what I mentioned with the sort of personal versus business because Obviously, people get rec- after a few years in the business, I get tagged and recommended constantly. And someone will have this vague idea they want to write this story to help someone. And it will turn out that that person maybe still isn't in the greatest place in their life or whatever. So I do try and establish where they're at because it makes more sense if they want to work with me. It makes more sense that they have a business and, and they are actually producing income, right? You don't want financial stress when you're trying to write a book. Then the first thing what we do is look at their objective for writing. Why are you writing it? What are you trying to achieve? Do you want to get, you know, paid speaking? Do you want to get in media or podcast interviews? Do you want to use it for a funnel, you know, to where someone buys your book and then they sort of go into your world that way? Do you want to use it to get new clients by giving it to people? Because there are people have been successful with all of these objectives. So we get clear on the objective and, you know, the audience, who it is, who's going to buy your book and and where they're going to find you because that's where they're hanging out. So I get clear on those things and genre, style. I give them homework uh, to to help them solidify how they want to write. And then we write an outline before we start working on the book. Yeah. And how long does that process usually take for someone who had no idea what they want to write suddenly to get into that outline? We spend three weeks with people on that. I give them homework and we have one call a week and then they're, you know, they're doing some work in between to get to there's a fair bit of homework in those first few weeks so they can get it up to speed. So we have three weeks usually doing that and then 12 weeks writing and then the other stuff comes after. What's the greatest challenge that you face in helping authors actually get glimpses of who you see them as they truly are? 
Oh, there, there's really a lot of challenges um, and that's where it's handy to be a coach, but even like a trained coach, but even then. Um, so really when people want to write a book, the first challenge before they'll even commit to working with me is getting, getting the confidence in their mind that they can be what they want to be. They can do that TED talk or they can achieve that whatever that goal is. People think, oh, who am I to write a book? And I'm not expert enough. And I haven't done enough of this. And I haven't been around long enough. And I just need to know a bit more about this before I can do that. You know, like there's people get in their heads because certainly with women, I feel like we never feel like we're enough. You're never enough something. And so you could spend a decade thinking I'll do something when, including, and a book would be one of those things. So that's really the first thing is that, you know, imposter syndrome type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then people thinking, oh, well, what am I going to write about? Because in my business, I do this and I do this, but, you know, they have, it's not that they don't have enough knowledge. It's actually that they usually have a lot of knowledge and they need to narrow it down because you can't write about all the things in one book. So those are two of the the main uh, barriers to getting started. Once we're going, the biggest barrier is people actually sitting down to write. Having me there is literally the only thing that gets my clients to write some weeks. And they'll say, oh, I didn't want to get in trouble. So, <laughs> so I, I made sure I wrote something, you know. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when you are doing all the things as a business owner, as a woman, as a mom, as all of those things, finding time to write can feel like a challenge. Mm. And that is hard. Even when someone's in my program, I have to, I have to really encourage them and find what's going to make them dig deep and commit. Yeah. So you're really building that accountability. And, but not only that, what I hear you saying, you know, there's that phrase that says, it's not who you are, it's who you think you aren't. And yes. I know as a coach myself that we often see in other people the greatness in them before they see it themselves. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, I've been brought to tears by my clients writing. And, you know, I had a client, for example, who uh, is a doctor and had grown up in foster care because her mum was a drug addict and her dad was not very involved in things. And when she got to teenage years and she wanted to be a doctor, people said, you should be a nurse, you know, like manage your expectations. So she put herself through college and, and became a doctor. Now, uh, her because doctors aren't famous for being great writers you know what I mean in terms of they're always they've got a certain uh, role and responsibility that doesn't normally include writing very long prose type things she was a bit out of practice her first chapter her first week with me in the writing stage was almost just one big paragraph right with hardly any like it had a little bit of punctuation but it was like one massive paragraph but I bawled my eyes out through the whole thing because she had this ability to tell the story that a lot of people do not have naturally. And on the call, I started crying again, telling her, oh my gosh, this was so good. And she was so shocked because she said, oh my gosh, I thought I wasn't good enough. And I was worried what you were going to say and, and all of that. And people are so much better than they think they are at things. And then they give themselves credit for yeah, because I, I know people will, you know, get hung up on grammar and spelling and 
really the point of is, is getting those ideas out of your head, letting it flow. There's people for grammar, there's people for editing, you know, to not let that hold them back. Yeah, look, and definitely, um, you know, the, the getting your idea, just getting it written, you know, a mentor of mine said to me, you don't need to get it right, you just need to get it written, you know, just put it down, get to the end, just write that first draft, and then you go back and worry about it. Now, I mean, when I, I see a lot of writing, obviously, and, and they're at all different levels. And certainly when someone is really struggling with the with the punctuation and things like that it can feel a bit distracting at times but that's why you know you you just need to be focusing on telling the story and it might mean it's going to mean it costs you a little bit extra in the editing process but at least you're still getting your message out and then someone is there to do all of that stuff some people love doing editing my editors love editing so like give them a job to do that they're going to love and you just do what you're good at you know exactly letting them play in their strengths and you can play in your own yeah so one of the things i wanted to ask you like there's several different methods to getting that outline and helping flush out ideas um i have a ted talk that's being released this week um on mind mapping and that's how i you know wrote my book is it was all came brain dumped from a mind map and hmm. I also have heard of right, putting out 10 pages with the title of each chapter and then dumping those ideas on 10 pages as to what each chapter would be about. What, what is one method that you could share with our viewers and listeners about what you do to help people open up that outline and expand it? Yeah, something I actually ran through this particular exercise with someone very recently. She'd spent two years working on her outline Uh, She's a psychologist and is brilliant. And, you know, often the other thing is women and very smart women tend to overthink everything and feel like it has to be perfect. And so she'd really gotten in her head. So we followed this process and I said to her, pretend that outline doesn't exist that you've spent two years doing because that outline has 250 items in it that you are trying to teach people in one book. It's too many things. Mm -hmm. So we pretended it didn't exist. And I got her to brainstorm for five minutes. I typed while she spoke. I set my phone for five minutes and I said, right, ready, go. Tell me the things that people need to know based on the objective. So, yeah. uh, you know, we talked about who's the, who's the audience, what's the objective of the book, what's the thing you're trying, what's the one thing you're trying to teach this audience ultimately? So we clarified that. I said, okay, now tell me all the things that you want to tell people related to that subject in any order, nothing's too silly, just tell me. So we five minutes, wrote that down. Then we spent another five minutes reordering it from one to 15, or I think it was one to 17, and went, okay, well, first they need to know this, and they need to know this, and they need to know this. And a few of the things were the same thing, and a few of the things were bullets, sub-bullets. Reorganized it, five more minutes. Then I said, okay, now let's flesh out each one with three bullets three to five max. And that's what's going to be in that chapter. We did that. So that was five minutes, five minutes. And then actually it was about 15 minutes that we spent. And she said to me, Catherine, I've spent two years writing this thing and you have just done it in 25 minutes, knowing nothing about my business. (laughs) I was just going to ask, did she have just emotional release with that? (laughs) She said like, yeah, I can't believe it was that simple. And because 
you know, when you know all the things about a topic, you feel tempted to shove it all into the book. However, you know, she's, she's, she's a, a coach of sensitive and gifted children. And the book was to teach parents how to support their sensitive child in the schooling system. Now, what she had done originally was tried to teach teachers and parents and psychologists and other workers. You can't teach three distinct right. audiences in the one book because you can imagine that's three books minimum, right? Three books, that's right. Yeah. So she was trying to write three books in one book. So that was the first thing, but also every aspect. And we were like in that objective. I said to her, what's the actual objective? And she said, well, you... All I want to do is tell them how to support the child at school, before and after school, and to, to support the child and what they can do during the day. I said, boom, that's all we need to do in this book. You don't need to teach someone how to become a psychologist. You don't need to teach someone all the things about sensitive children, why it happens and all the examples. You just need to teach that thing. Right. So oh, it's amazing. So it really got her off to a a good start after two years of saying, well, I can't start until my outline's done and it's not done yet. It's really about keeping it simple. I, again, you know, it comes that we get so caught up in paralysis by analysis and getting yeah. all stuck in our head. Um, is there a certain exercise? Like, do you get them to visualize or how do you get them to get out of their head and onto paper? Brainstorming can work when you have a bit of a time pressure. Um, something I did, I'm working on an anthology at the moment, for example, with 25 authors, and uh, it's called Letter to My 10-Year-Old Self. And something I actually did was recorded a visualisation exercise for them mm -hmm. where they had to picture themselves at 10. And then I asked them all these questions to remind them to build that picture of themselves and then gave them some thoughts like, what do you want her to, I recorded two actually, one for the female authors, one for the male, so that I could say her or him. <laughs> um, and what do you want them to know? What do you want them to know about this and this and this and this? And, and did a whole, it was like a five minute visualization and they all listened to it and then started writing. And the ones who did it said, you know, they were in tears, they were really motivated and it really showed through in the work. Other times it might be doing that, but thinking about your ideal client. It might be doing a visualization or a meditation, thinking about yourself when you were first in business and what you wanted to know, depending on what your topic is. Yeah. And I know this is a cliche question that I'm thinking of, Catherine, but what method, you know, you said sometimes clients show up that they, they made sure they wrote something, but they didn't feel like writing. So there's often that writer's block. What do you suggest, maybe one to two tips as to how to overcome that writer's block? The first thing with writer's block is having that outline will help prevent writer's block because you're not sitting down to a blank page. Writer's block itself, if you really feel like you have it, it's changing scenery, you know, going for a walk, doing something that doesn't involve sitting at your computer, you know, mixing it up, dancing, listening to music, playing with a dog, reading a book, something like that. But uh, really, it one of the cures for writer's block is actually to write every day because the more you write, you're not going to face that writer's block. So instead of doing a three-hour session once a week, which, to be honest, it never happens. It doesn't work. 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, seven days a week is what cures writer's block because momentum is what gets books written. Rather than one block of three, four hours you know, totally. on a Saturday at a coffee shop. 
right? Because what happens is that three or four hours, you will wake up tired, you'll wake up with a headache or feeling sick, or your kid has to go to sport, or someone invites you to brunch, or you just don't feel like it that day, or whatever. And suddenly, that big period of time is gone. And if you're only doing it once a week, that means that it's two weeks in between writing sessions. And a bit like going to the gym, if you went to the gym once every two weeks, you'd never go, right? Because what makes you addicted to the gym, certainly what's worked for me in the past, is you go every single day to the gym. The day that you don't go to the gym, you're thinking, oh, I just need to do some exercise, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's like a withdrawal. <laughs> yeah, and if you write every day, you will begin to feel like an author and you will think, oh, I just have one more paragraph in that chapter or I just want to finish that thought or I just want to, because you start creating a habit and through that repetition and, and momentum. Yeah. I love how you say that because, you know, people need to believe it and feel it before they're going to see it. So if they already show up as an author yes. and, you know, sometimes, you know, I've talked to people and I said, you know, start with an article. <laughs> if you really don't want to jump into writing a book, start with an article and it can be, you know, if some people write their own blogs, how I know, you know, someone like yourself or other people I know in the book world that, they just take a collection of blogs and work it into creating a book, you know? So if it's that small of that 15 to 30 minutes a day, you know, when you think 500 to thousand words a day, that adds up yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. And, you know, um, I read about a woman years ago who wrote, a, who had five children and she wrote a book by Getting, by setting her alarm for 10 minutes before her first child normally woke up and she would get up, splash water on her face, make herself a coffee. And then she wrote one page. She wrote one page a day for a year. And at the end of the year, she had a book. Now, not many mums with five kids are able to write a book, but she said, you know what, All I can spare five minutes, I'm going to spend five minutes. And obviously being able, to, I've got an itchy nose, sorry, obviously being able to touch type is helpful yep. because you just, and you know, and probably some days she might have written a bit more because the child didn't wake up and some days she might have written less because she wasn't feeling like it. But I used to sit at my computer when I made the decision, okay, this book is not getting written. I sat at my computer every night seven nights a week for 15 minutes I put my son to bed and I'd say right I wouldn't sit on the couch like don't even sit down there because you're not going to get up go to your desk and I'd say to myself it's just 15 minutes like think of how much rubbish that you spend easily spend 15 minutes doing right scrolling social you know whatever 15 minutes goes by so quickly and I just went go and sit at the computer and write for your 15 minutes. And sometimes that became three hours. And sometimes I sat there for 15 minutes and wrote three words and hated myself, you know, but I went, you know what, I'm here. I might be a crap writer today, but I'm still sitting here and 10 weeks into it, that book was done. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, and I think of, you know, when I first started writing, it was like, Try, wanting to have that voice, not knowing what was going to evolve. But as the process continues, you, you continually evolve as well and you get ideas. So 
how important is it to have some scientific evidence or facts and figures in some of these books? Because I know, you know, some with self-help, you know, they want some sometimes scientific evidence or business books, there's data involved. Um, I'm just curious, yeah. how, how much is that good balance yeah, look, it depends on the theme and and your brand and a bunch of things. I've got clients who have zero evidence in their books, but they also make that clear. They say, this is my framework. This is my view of the world. You know, I'm I'm not giving you medical advice or I'm not giving you whatever. Like this is my view, take it or leave it. And boom, here it is. And they have no evidence for anything, especially when the person has created their own framework. There are books where people include evidence because it's, you know, it might be financially related or it might be because they're giving you, I guess, tips or steps and they'll say, here's where it's worked or here, you know, and they might use other other people's work. A lot of my clients actually use their own clients as examples rather than going to use other people's evidence. They'll say, here's what I did in my life. Here's what my client did the same thing. Here's what you can do, you know, that kind of thing. So it's actually not as much of a thing. And, you know, there are topics which would lend themselves to evidence more than others. Mm -hmm. But readers, especially because you're not going to have a unique book these days in terms of the topic, what's unique is you and your approach. So, yeah, a lot of readers aren't necessarily looking for that evidence, but it does depend on what you're talking about. And, and I love how you brought that up, Catherine, because, you know, people will say, well, why would I write a book? There's so many books on that topic. I look at my bookshelf and I, I think I have many books on the same topic, different authors, different approaches. And I have a nugget from every single one of them and nothing is identical in either any of them. So oh, totally. Totally. themselves back. And, and the fact that a book exists actually proves that there is demand as well. The fact that there's a number of books proves that there's demand. And in fact, if people want to get traditionally published, which is a, a bit of a separate game altogether, but if they want to get traditionally published and they write a proposal, it will ask you what other books like are similar or what other authors are similar. And they don't want you to say, none, this is unique, because then they have no idea how to market you. Yeah. One, one of the biggest pieces I learned about book marketing just a year ago was if you're looking at your cover, look at the best-selling books in your genre and that you're designing a cover very similar to your bestsellers. And I was like, really? I thought you would want your picture on the cover. You want all these different things. And it was eye-opening to me to learn how powerful it was, even though you feel like it's kind of a conformity but it's not because people get attracted to the similar look and style of a book. Yeah. I love doing uh, cover design. I don't design, obviously we have designers, but I love the meetings and, you know, then I pick the designer based on the meeting with the client and the project manager. And we actually just had one last week with a client who we get them to come to, you know, do a screenshot of, you know, 10 of their favorite book covers. And it's interesting how similar people's, uh, tastes are around as you said this was a book where you know it's about project management and she looked at all of these covers every single cover had like a bold plain background you know like a red or a blue or a pink background with a really strong image in the middle and then bold text at the top you know like almost every book had an ass like 
a, a type of that, you know, it's something similar to that. And it, it's good because we went, okay, well, we know we have to do a strong color and we're going to have a, a hero graphic, you know, and there are certain, you know, I mean, obviously some people covers are very important. My view is you have to love your cover. Um, my own first book, which was actually a novel, I employed three designers and had 20 covers done. Wow. Yes. I, I'm obviously picky, but I'm also picky like that with my clients' covers. So uh, you have to love your cover. And in my view, you want it to look at as fabulous as possible, not to look self-published, et cetera. So a lot, yeah, there's a lot going into your cover that has to be considered. And certainly there are trends in topics. Yeah. And, you know, like two of my books are traditionally published. The third one I went self-published. But I know these days there is a stronger push that I've noticed for the self-published book. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, well, I think traditional publishing doesn't work as you would have experienced as people think that it does. So people will say to me, I've decided I'd like to write a book tell me where to get it published. And it doesn't exactly work like that. You know, like I need to decide who's going to publish my book. Can you give me the list of the best publishers? And I said, well, it doesn't work like that. Because what people don't understand is, you know, you usually need an agent, particularly in the US and Canada, you need an agent to get published. You can't just go sending uh, manuscripts to publishers. In Australia, you can, but they sit on what's called the slush pile. Pretty much nobody ever gets published off the slush pile. So there's a whole process around getting traditionally published and there are certain things to consider. It's a business which is struggling because self-publishing is taking over and they normally need you to already be famous and to have a big audience or to have a big audience before they'll publish you because you're too much of a risk otherwise. Mm -hmm. If you're lesser known, they will tend to make you do more of the legwork with marketing and things because they don't want to put too much money into it. They might like your topic and they'll take a, a bit of a punt, but they won't go all in. And timelines can be anywhere from six months to three years. With yeah. self-publishing, you're in full control of the timeline. You're in control of everything. Publishers decide on normally, and there are obviously different types of traditional publishers too. There's a, a wide gamut of the services they provide, but with, with uh, publishers, they tend to be in control of the edit, the title, the cover, etc. With self-publishing, that's all of your decision. At the same time, it's all of your risk and you're putting all the money into it and, and that kind of thing. That's a lot of power yes. choice. Most, <laughs> yeah, well, it's also, yeah, there um, a lot of poor quality books because people write the book, they hit, the end, like, you know, they type the end and then they bang it up on Amazon and they say, oh, I've written a book. Nobody writes a publishable first draft, including, you know, Brene Brown, like nobody. Yeah. And that's one of the dangers of self-publishing. It's sort of made it too accessible that it reduced the quality of what's available to people. Yeah. Um, so we work with self-published authors almost exclusively because all of my clients want the control and they also don't want to wait years. And one of the things is the level of quality for me, it has to be there or don't put it out into the world. Yeah. Keep it for the family. And, and I think one of the most valuable pieces of advice that I had from a publisher once is, you know, in, versus pushing to get a book done, that a book is always ready when it's ready. So don't force it to be ready at a certain time. If you feel that 
it's not complete, but also not to work for perfection and not have the progress of putting it out. Yeah, there's definitely that fine balance because one of the things, in fact, I was working on my own book this morning that's, you know, about how to write a book. And one of the things that I remembered was when I was writing my first book, I know an author who is a full-time author, Aussie author living in Italy. And I'd emailed her saying, oh, you know, I'm the baby, like, you know, he's not sleeping or whatever. I'm really tired. I don't really feel like writing the book. And she wrote back saying, if you wait till you feel in the mood, you're literally never going to write it because life is not really that kind at times, you know, life's not that inspirational. She said, you've got to write whether you feel like it or not. And definitely there are uh, lots of barriers to getting it done. I lost my track of train of thought a little bit there, but there are lots of barriers to getting it done. And if you sort of fall too much onto that side, you won't get the book written. So at this, there's sort of that balance between you just have to be disciplined and do it every day like a job. Yeah. And but, you know, at the same time, don't push it out there when it's not ready. You might need to percolate it. I took months off before I re-edited my book with sort of fresh eyes before I put it out into the world. And that's, and that's valuable advice. Like, I think we need to put it aside and go for a walk or, you know, listen to a podcast, listen to an audio book of some kind. I find that yeah. even my social media posts are inspired by something that I've read or something, just that one line that stands out to me. And then, you know, I think about it and have my own reflection and it ends up being a social media post, you know, and people will be like, well, where do you get your ideas? Your ideas come or those aha moments come when you're not attached to the work. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes you do need to take that break. And like I edited my book so many times and I'd had it rejected by agents and I was feeling so down about it. And a friend of mine wanted to read it, who I didn't want to read it because I knew he was a really critical person and I just couldn't take it, you know, at that time. But in the end, he talked me into it. And he said, oh, I really, I think this is actually a really good book and I couldn't put it down. He said, but I do think that a good book could be a great book if you fix this and this and this with structure because he was a script writer and sort of had right. an idea of structure. Yeah. I said to him, I don't even want to think about this stupid book anymore. Like I hate this book right now because I'd worked on it for so long and then had it rejected. I just thought I'm done. And I said to him, I'm just going to stick it up on Amazon and, you know, just be done with it. And he said, I really encourage you not to do that. And when I sat down and read it again, because I'd put it in my bottom drawer for months, I thought, you know what, this is actually pretty good. It's pretty funny, like where it was meant to be funny. And, and I worked with an editor again and we brought it to life. And I thought, I am so glad I did not publish it with how it looked a few months ago. Like, I'm so glad I took that time off and then revisited it. Um, I mean, obviously in our business, we have people built in where they're doing those edits for you and you have a little bit of time in between each stage, but it is good to have little breaks and then to have input of other people. Yeah. How many authors do you work with at one time? Um, it really depends. Now that I have a course, I do have, you know, a, a bunch of students who are in the sort of online course. They don't get one-on-one -on -one attention, obviously. Look, this year has been a little bit up and down, you know, with COVID, people a bit more cautious about spending money. But normally I would work with like anywhere in the team, 20 authors at once, mm -hmm. but some of them are in small groups of six and some are one-on-one -on -one, and sometimes 
I'm now growing my team. So I really carefully select coaches who are going to be working with people and who, who work with people because I'm only one person. And uh, yeah, so it, it sort of varies. Yeah. So we're almost coming to the end of the interview. I'm sure we can talk a lot more, even, you know, to dig in a little bit more about Australia too. <laughs> but, um, what is one book that has had the biggest impact in your life? Gosh, well, funnily enough, the book that actually um, really changed my life was a book called Six Months to Six Figures by Peter Voog. And uh, he, and it was actually a book my husband had read and said, it was an audio book. Was, and I was dry, I had a job at the time and I was driving 40 minutes each way. And so I started listening to this book. And in that book, is what he suggested. If you're trying to change careers, change business, whatever, he he gave an exercise for emailing the ten people closest to you. Yeah. The rest of the book uh, was, you know, it had some a lot of things similar to what Tony Robbins says and things like that. A lot of right. Tony's material, really. But yeah. that one exercise literally changed my life. So that was amazing. And uh, more recently, one of the books that's really impacted me has been Dr. Joe Dispenza um what's the one uh supernatural becoming supernatural yes yeah 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 I I have to read it again because being yourself oh yeah I I haven't read that but some went over my head and I remember thinking oh wow like I need to especially because I've had some health stuff going on I went wow there is actually completely different ways to look at to look at the brain and look at our abilities as people. So yeah, yeah that's been pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you can dive in and see the stories that people share. And it and it is all about the storytelling. And I think that's yeah. where people launch off to being speakers and, you know, um, coaches in their area, but it's all about the story. Totally. And the funny thing is, is a lot of people when they're writing a book, don't tell stories. Some of my best clients are great writers, but they keep forgetting to tell stories. And the reason being one of my clients, Carly, was she's writing a second book with me at the moment. She said, oh, I love it when you tell me where to put in a story because she gets in, you know, writing the narrative. She writes quickly and easily. It all is flowing out. And I'll say, put a story here, put a story here, put a story here. And she said, I forget to because she said it feels so obvious because it's my life. So she said she feels a bit silly sometimes stopping to tell a story about me, you know, and I said, but actually people love that. And with her first book, when she got back all the the feedback from the beta readers, which is one of the processes I get them to do, they were all saying to her, oh, tell us more of those stories. I love it when you talk about you and your partner and, you know, that kind of thing. People love stories because I think they like seeing your theory demonstrated in your life or the life of your client and I think it creates some relevancy because she's she's ultimately not the reader right yes who her audience is and um, people want to know that they're relevant and that they can relate to that author totally but I think what happens is you've you've got the knowledge and it might feel like obvious you think who wants to hear about my life you know they just want to know how to fix their own life but it's they actually are looking to you for those examples and people do love stories. Beautiful. So what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? Oh, well, I think it's actually finding happiness with who you are right now. 
And I know something I'm guilty, I have been guilty of is thinking I'll be happy when. Mm. And I think the richest life, you know, with my, I guess, somewhat limited experience so far is that you can have a rich and beautiful life no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you live by finding beauty and simplicity and gratitude, having gratitude for the little and small things. Keeping a gratitude journal changed a lot of things for me. Yeah, that's a great way to start writing too, is just those three bullet points or five bullet points of gratitude. Absolutely. Yeah. So how can people stay in touch with you, Catherine? Uh, I'm changeempire.com is my website. I'm on Facebook as Change Empire Book Coaching. I'm on LinkedIn as Catherine Mora. And I'm on Instagram very uh, erratically (laughs) as uh, Change Empire Book Coaching as well. Excellent. Excellent. So if you were to leave us one message to remind us about book writing or anything that you wanted to share today, what would be that one message that you wanted people to remember? I'd say, don't wake up at 70 and say, damn, I wish I'd written that book. If you have the book inside you, just make the decision that you're going to do it. Because honestly, you will always, always, always be proud of yourself. And you will always be glad that you did it. Yeah, I think it's a game changer. Like I, I tell people, you know, you want to make a shift in yourself, go get yourself dolled up, get a new outfit, go for a photo shoot, you'll never look at yourself the same again. And I would have to say the same about publishing a book, when you feel that in your hands, yeah, and uh, you see your name on the cover, it's not the same. Like you've, you've changed a vision of yourself. And you will change the view that other people have of you as well, because people still respect authors and go, oh, wow, you wrote a book. That's incredible. We feel like, cause we're entrepreneurs. I think we feel like everyone has one, but it's yeah. so far from the truth. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You feel like, oh, everybody's writing a book these days. Yeah. Right. They really don't. They're really not. <laughs> Yeah, no, powerful message. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Catherine. It's been such a treat and delight for sharing the knowledge that you have. Um, I'm going to have to have you come back for, for another time where we can dive in a little bit more. But I, I, I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And uh, let's uh, see how many more authors we can get in the world because I think that every story that's meant to teach us a lesson and move forward in this world needs to be revealed. And hopefully those listening to this podcast, if you've been thinking about writing a book, don't hesitate, reach out to Catherine Mora. She will um, ignite your path. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. All right, everyone. You can also go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you can get your Making Habits Stick three-part video series where you put focus and consistency in those goals. Maybe you're going to use that to write your book, that 500 words a day and, you know, build that up, approach Catherine and say, Hey, I'm ready. Also subscribe to this YouTube channel, or if you're on iTunes rate and review so we can share this message with the world. And if you have any extra feedback for Catherine or myself, don't forget to drop us a line. We're happy to reply to you and share that with everyone as well. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Catherine and myself, go out and make today great. Thank you.